Chapter 93. Janos de Mojos, Bolivia. The Bike Accident and a New Nest. I sent Zakoff on another wild goose chase. He was good like that. I could just say go and do this, and he just went and did it. No complaints. I don't know what Toa got against the poor boy. Just a bit of creativity on his CV. He'd written that he had no problem communicating with co-workers on a project he worked on in Argentina. It came out later that they all spoke fluent English, which I thought was pretty funny, but Toa felt he'd been deceived. Zack's Spanish was awful. I took myself off to where Zack had seen a blue throat the day before. Observation of single birds are important, as they may mean that their partner is in a nest somewhere. I started to feel like I was getting used to the mosquitoes a little, although I was still far from happy. My spirits were lifted slightly by seeing a lifer, the first for quite a while. Plodding through the swamp was tiring, though, and in my mosquito gear, long sleeves, headnet and gloves, I sweat a lot. I was really exhausted by the time it came to get Zack on the bike. Maybe that was the reason I fell off. I hit a ditch and was thrown over the handlebars. It was my third or fourth time to come off, so it didn't bother me too much. One day I won't be so lucky, though, and might end up with more than a bruised knee and ego. In the afternoon I went exploring again, and got back to say goodbye to the lady and her two daughters who were just leaving to see their father on another ranch. Another woman came to make us dinner, which was a bit of a joke, bread and hot water. I managed to speak to Pete on the radio to see how things were at the main camp. The next day I went exploring again, and the bike fell over again. I snapped the clutch lever, which may make things interesting. I spent the morning exploring new islands through swamps. I dropped my machete and had to spend half an hour backtracking before I found it. Good job that I did, though, as I got well and truly stuck in the tall marsh vegetation and may not have been able to get out without it. I got stuck as it was, and it took me all my energy to hack my way out. This is without a doubt the toughest place I've ever worked. Every day is just so exhausting. I was treated to a super-close view of a beautiful pampas deer. It didn't see me at all and walked right past me just five metres away. I spoke to Pete again on the radio, and he said that Toa said that he wanted us to start thinking about coming back soon if we had nothing of interest here. It pissed down again in the afternoon, and Zach and I had a well-deserved half-day off. It was so humid at night. Dinner wasn't pleasant. Bolivians insist on having hot drinks at night, whatever the temperature, and I was sweating buckets drinking my herb tea. I spent the following morning in the blind and observed a pair at the nest for just one hour. I walked back hot and tired. I managed to talk to Toa at lunch and he suggested I came back to Trini and fly out with a photographer on the 17th. The bike's clutch was broken, so I drove it up to the main ranch to get the mechanic to take a look at it. When I got there I was told that he wasn't there and I'd had a wasted trip. I went all the way back and went exploring the afternoon through a maze of marshes nearby, this time seeing a lesser yellow-headed vulture, which was cool. The mechanic actually turned up at our place later and took a look at the bike. He said he couldn't fix it and recommended that I tie a piece of rubber around it, which I did and I was very pleased with the result. A British mechanic would have gasped in horror. I felt like a Bolivian for the first time. It was my turn in the blind, but I flushed the birds getting in and they didn't come back all morning. I passed someone on a four-wheeler on my way back, which turned out to be Carlos. I heard that he'd located a new pair of blue throats, which is pretty big news. I asked Zach details, which he should have had the sense to ask, but he didn't. In the afternoon, Zach and I went to try and climb a bunch of palm trees which had artificial holes in them. But it turned out we couldn't do it because they had spines all the way up. I climbed a motoku palm near the nest. It took me about an hour and it was really hard work. The technique we used was one Peter showed us, using two slips of rope around the trunk. 
One clipped onto a carabiner around our waist, and the other one we used as a foothold. The reason I climbed was because a strangler fig was growing over the hole and blocking the entrance. I spent a sweaty time hacking away at it, only to find the hole was actually flooded. I would have to come back the next day and drill a hole to drain the water. The knot on one of the ropes seemed to be fraying a bit, and I was paranoid about falling. Ten metres might not be to my death, but it would certainly be breaking a few bones. I went off round the lake to find more patches of motoku palms. We were starting to run out of things to do. I went round the places we'd seen blue throats in the past few days with no luck. The mosquitoes were as bad as ever. I had a cloud of them surrounding me at all times. I was still seeing a lot of good birds, and I saw a beautiful pair of whistling herons perched high up in a tree. In the afternoon, I went back to the palm tree with a hole in it, and I sent Zack up with a hammer and a screwdriver to hammer some holes in it and drain the water out. I planned to finish early and head up to the main ranch to track down Carlos and ask him where the nest was, but we finished late and there wasn't time. I heard later that he'd moved to another estancia anyway to work. I was a bit pissed off I hadn't been able to talk to him yet. I sent Zack to the blind while I went exploring the place Toa had mentioned. I ended up walking along a heavily wooded area by the side of a stream. I'd forgotten my machete and there was no way I'd be able to hack through it to the other side. The vegetation was just so dense. It spat out on a huge expanse of marsh, which I waded through to get to the other side. I was lucky enough to see a couple of crakes, which any birdwatcher can tell you are very difficult to see, ash-throated and rufous-sided crakes. I saw a motoku island in the distance and weaved my way through the vegetation following cow trails. It took me ages to arrive there, but when I did, it was such a relief as the island was a raised mound that caught a nice breeze which kept the mosquitoes at bay. It was a weird island in that it was unnaturally round and symmetrical. I got thinking that this could have been one of the islands made by the Mojos people, for which the Llanos is named. There were no macaws or anything else to speak of, but I think this is the place that Toa mentioned his previous guide Pocho had seen bluethroats in the past. It had been a long morning and I headed back, taking an easier route. I went to pick up Zack at the time we'd arranged, but he wasn't there. I was a bit pissed off, but it turned out later that I'd forgotten to give him my watch. His had stopped working. I finally made it to the main ranch, 17 kilometres north, and found the guy who described where he'd seen the blue throat and macaws, and then I went to check it out. When I arrived, I found a pair guarding a dead motoku snag. It was a big moment, and Toe was going to be thrilled. I wasn't sure how much of the credit I could take, though, as a vaquero told me exactly where it was. I went back to the main house to check with the administrator whether I could stay there, and he said it would be no problem. Well, that was set. I would be moving here to watch the nest. We took the rest of the afternoon off to prepare for my departure. I spoke to Toa at last on the radio and he seemed pleased but typically sceptical about the nest. He never believes anything until he sees it with his own eyes. I had a nice chat with the woman at night. Despite the comfort up there, I'd be sad to leave here. 